0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's *His people, Ginny Linda Clerk, on the remarkable lives of five Puritan women from history, like Anne Bradstreet.
1: People probably know she immigrated to New England as a newlywed with her husband and parents. She set up a house there and started a family in this difficult place, and she became the first person, male or female, to publish a book of poetry in America.
0: Ginny mm. Lynn Declerc. Next. The writings of the Puritans have seen a resurgence in recent times, but Puritan women have perhaps been overlooked or even misunderstood. Crossway Books editor and author Dr. Jenny Lynn DeClerk is trying to remedy that with her new book, Five Puritan Women, Portraits of Faith and Love. Jenny, why did you want to introduce us to these women who lived in the 1600s?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I could say all sorts of things for that, but the main thing that comes to mind is when I first discovered them, I was really awestruck. I had already been studying the Puritans, but uh, something about them uh, just really hit home for me, maybe because I was also a woman and a Christian and a writer. And when I started sort of adding little bits and pieces to them, to my lectures and writings on the Puritans that I was doing at the time, I just kept getting such a good uh, response from people, and everyone just wanting to know more, know more, Uh, and I just found it difficult to find sort of a popular level, easy to read book uh, that everybody could understand even if they didn't know anything about the 17th century, and so that's what led me to writing this book, and yeah, I mean, most people go to the Puritans for spirituality, and that's the same thing for the women as for the men, they're amazing at it, but I think um, something extra special that we maybe get a little bit more of with the women, not to say we don't get any of it with the men, uh, is just sort of a raw, unfiltered record of Hmm. how their theological views really worked out in real life. So we do, of course, get that a bit with the men as well. We, you know, someone like Baxter and Bunyan wrote about personal things um, and real life things, but, you know, with figures like Owen, we get pretty much no personal stories at all, <laughs> so, right. uh, and even the ones we do get, they're a little bit, you know, sometimes in a more formal way from sort of this trained person who is, who is often like writing this book for publication to reach a wide audience, and so with these women, it's just a bit of a different vibe. Um, which maybe that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal if you think about it, because the Puritans were really known for being amazing at applying the Bible to all aspects of daily life. And so getting sort of a more immediate um, spur-of-the-moment description of that uh, is super interesting and can contribute to our understanding of Puritan spirituality.
0: Now, where did you get the information on these women? Uh, Jenny, was it from their journals or...
1: Yeah, I mean, they all they wrote in all different sorts of uh, literary genres. So we've got letters, journal entries, theological treatises, stories about their life, autobiography, poetry, all sorts of things. Um, and yeah, thankfully, uh, all the stuff that I was able to write on have sort of recent critical editions of their works published today. So I did not need to find any manuscripts, uh, even though I did once have the privilege of uh, doing a trip to England and seeing stuff from Owen, stuff from Lucy Hutchinson. So I have been able to have that great experience, but I didn't need to sort of go discover too much. Some of the groundwork has already been laid for us uh, by lots of other scholars.
0: And and is it right these these ladies lived in uh, the 17th century, the 1600s?
1: Yes, that's right. That is correct. Often, sometimes people get a little bit confused about who the Puritans were, and they start calling like Jonathan Edwards a Puritan and Charles Spurgeon a Puritan, which, you know, that's not a huge deal. But if you're talking to a a scholar, if you're in a university, that's not going to (laughs) slide. So we pretty much keep puritanism technically it's just the 17th century and even though you know later authors and pastors like edwards and spurgeon were highly influenced by the puritans and you know read the puritans and sometimes talk like the puritans talk and so you know that's why people associate them so closely
0: and who were they we, we did do an interview with uh pastor joel beakey a few weeks ago and he mm-hmm. talked about the puritans but i'm wondering just in case somebody missed that can, can you yeah. can give us a kind of a quick overview of who these people were
1: For sure, it's always a good thing to mention. Sometimes I assume people know and then I'm like halfway through some long spiel and I realize people (laughs) have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm glad you asked. Puritans were basically a group of pastors and lay people in the 17th century who felt like the Reformation had not gone far enough in England. And so they wanted to push it a little bit further. They felt like there were some vestiges of Roman Catholicism, stuff like vestments and the prayer book and things like that. And they sort of wanted to have a fully Protestant uh, church in England. And uh, one of the sort of main ways that they wanted to bring that about was by like emphasizing having a real intimate genuine relationship with god which is why we get so many great spirituality gems from them
0: now do these ladies know each other
1: i did look into that uh into some depth it it can be difficult to figure out like with figures who are a lot more popular like the men where we have more records that have been preserved Mm -hmm. often we just know way more about their life we know all sorts of people they talk to and we can piece together like even, like, intricate details of, like, this exact year in their life and then the next year in their life. Uh, With these women, the information is a little bit more sparse. The only thing I was able to really find was that it seemed like there was definitely a possibility that Anne Bradstreet and Mary Rich could have met because Anne Bradstreet's husband for a time, worked for Mary Rich's, I can't remember if it was mother-in-law or grandmother-in-law, one of the two. <laughs> and so it's possible that they maybe had come across each other once, but we don't have any like explicit records of, I met so-and-so today, <laughs> or anything easy like that, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> well, I do want to ask you about them, but I, I, I'm wondering, well, you say it kind of right up front in in your book, Five Puritan Women, Portraits of Faith and Love, that this isn't just history, uh, but you're you're an advocate. You're Actually commending these women as mentors to learn from.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I um, see myself as coming through a, uh, a maybe not a long line, maybe it's a short <laughs> line of, of, you know, amazing theologians like Dr. J.I. Packer, who have come before me and and reminded so many of us of the value of the Puritans. And so, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes people want to write off the Puritans in general. Other times they don't know about the women or they maybe think in their brains, oh, why would we read the women if we have all these amazing theological works from the men? Yeah. But yeah, I think it's worth it to read them as well for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier. And yeah, just for... The reason that we want to read any of the Puritans to, short, to sort of glean all of these great spirituality gems from them.
0: Well, your book is Five Puritan Women, Portraits of Faith and Love, and we're going to talk uh, briefly here, of course, about Agnes Beaumont, Lucy Hutchinson, Mary Rich, Anne Bradstreet, and Lady Brilliana Harley. Well, the first one in your book is Agnes Beaumont, and I'm wondering, what can you tell us about her, uh, Jenny, and um, what did you glean from her life? What do you hope we will glean from her life?
1: Yeah, So Beaumont was a young convert who basically uh, had a disagreement with her father about going to church and ended up going through these series of crises in her life that were kind of extreme and like kept getting crazier and crazier as they went on. And at the end of it all, she sort of wrote this all down for us in uh, a big story, her record of all these events. Um, And one of the reasons that this is a really unique document is because Beaumont was kind of uh, on a lower social status in society, and she's kind of like a country bumpkin type. (laughs) So it's really great to have Mm -hmm. uh, a writing from someone like that, because especially with uh, the other ladies, Hutchinson, Rich, Bradstreet, and Harley. Uh, some of them did go through financial difficulties, but in general, you know, usually history is written by, you know, people who are wealthy, who have the means and opportunities to learn how to read and write and yeah. the time to write. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's a really unique document that we have from Beaumont. Something that I I think probably my favorite part about, uh, or my favorite thing about this document is that uh, she talks a lot about what it was like for her to personally experience being in a relationship with god and how uh you know god is like this key player in her story and she she's in relationship with him the whole time she's talking to him the whole time through prayer listening to him the whole time through reading his word and remembering you know the scripture passages that she's memorized and i yeah i I love that part about it just it's it's very down to earth and um Gives us, you know, some examples of sometimes I wonder, like, do you ever think about, like, what is another person's experience of, like, marriage or working or this or that? It's it's interesting to see, like, how other people describe what it's like to uh, be in a relationship with God. So that's my favorite part about that uh, document that we have from her.
0: An interesting thing, if, if I remember her correctly, that she was wrongly accused.
1: She was. Uh, she was... Um, There were some rumors spread about basically her being in an affair with John Bunyan. And then she was later sort of officially accused of murdering her father after he suddenly passed away late one night. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, some of these, we can tie these back to stereotypes that people had about Baptists at this time. It was not really cool or okay to be a Baptist. It was seen as sort of this like socially subversive group that was like, flipping things on its head, messing with, like, the family structure, which was a key part of society. And so that probably contributed to people starting these rumors and making these accusations. Although we also find out that the man who accused her wrongfully um, of murdering her father also sort of seemed to have this whole thing set up where he was trying to uh, marry his son to her and it didn't work out. And so maybe he had some sort of revenge at the back of his mind as well.
0: (laughs) And the power, and I don't want to, of course, we don't have time to to go into great depth about all of these, but the power Mm of memorization, memorizing scripture that through these trials, this trial of uh, she just wanted to get to church, and, and, and John Bunyan, the, the writer of the Pilgrim's <laughs> yeah. uh, Progress, it's, yes. it's just amazing to think he took her to church, and then anyway, things kind of spiral out of control there, but, but it was the, the memorized scripture mm-hmm. that kind of sustained her through these false accusations
1: yeah i that is a really something that really stood out to me in the story and why i tried to also bring it out in my chapter of this book um and yeah i mean like i said this she was going through a series of crises that were happening like very quickly one after the other and like in a very unexpected way as well like you wouldn't think oh this happened now this happened (laughs) you think you sort of go through one thing at the at, at a time but it was everything all at once and Uh, in a lot of these situations she just didn't either have the time to to get a bible like it was something you know like when her dad is dying he's literally she's sitting with him and he's dying so this is like a very serious um, emergency situation Uh, and you know at other times she uh, didn't have a bible with her when she was locked out of the house when her and her dad were in a fight all sorts of stuff so um, the fact that uh she had scripture memorized really came to her aid in those moments and i think shows us you know there is a reason to memorize scripture i think especially for us today we can think oh well you know we live in the information age i constantly have a phone with me i can just look up the bible that's you know partially true and okay uh to feel that way i think but at the same time uh, when we memorize something, it can, you know, impact us in a different way, and we can also then access it at any moment in time, no matter what's happening. So, I think her her story really shows us that super clearly.
0: Well, the next one uh, in your book, Five Puritan Women: Portraits of Faith and Love," is Lucy Hutchinson, and uh, she was was well, she had the distinction of being the only a woman to have written a theological treatise from that particular era is that right
1: yes that's what we think maybe who knows there maybe something else will be discovered or some other scholars will you know say oh y'all have forgotten about this but all of the lucy hutchinson scholars of the world which are not many <laughs> have <laughs> you know sort of collaborated on that and said it seems like this is the only systematic theology we have for a moment at the time which sort of isn't surprising in a sense women were not allowed to go to university and so they weren't really You know, writing big hefty books about stuff like systematic theology. Um, But yeah, that's one amazing, uh, amazing fact about her life. And I think what what makes that even cooler is why she wrote it. She actually wrote it for her daughter Barbara in sort of an attempt to Make sure that Barbara stuck to the faith and love of the church as she was sort of growing up, becoming an adult, and moving out of the house.
0: Uh, There's so much more to ask you about Lucy Hutchinson, but she really gave us the idea of, I I think you describe it, uh, Jenny, as household discipleship?
1: Yeah, definitely. We get a really interesting glance into her story, not only her as a mother, but her as a child with her own mother, um, about... Mm -hmm how theology wasn't just, you know, passed down from, you know, the pastors and the theologians who are preaching in the churches. Of course, that was a, a main channel, <laughs> um, but it was also being done in the household. And it was often women who were teaching their children. It was the women who were at home and the women who were sort of had this task to catechize their kids, talk about theology every day, all that kind of stuff. So Lucy Hutchinson, as someone who is a really intellectual person, a really nerdy person who loved (laughs) reading, sort of took it to the next level by writing an entire systematic theology. But, um, you know, all sorts of women did what her mom did and, and also what Lucy did in sort of doing this oral transmission of stuff at home and in this maybe a little bit less formal setting.
0: Well, the next lady you write about, Puritan woman, is Mary Rich, and uh, she has quite an extensive story, as they all do, and we can only, I know we're just touching on some of the high points, but she was kind of initially, if you were worldly-minded, loved fashion and that kind of thing, and then yeah. <laughs> seemingly lost it all, and then got it back and then used it for the Lord, but tell us about her, about Mary Rich, interesting last name here
1: yeah she uh all i mean like you said they all have really interesting stories and they're all you know in one sense they're super similar because they're all puritans but they're also really diverse um so yeah everything you were saying was right mary rich sort of grew up in basically like a nominal christian home and uh yeah she admits to she writes this whole autobiography about herself and tells her whole life story and admits the fact that yeah she was she was into fashion and romance (laughs) and all the maybe stereotypical girly things that we would think of today um she ended up falling in love with this guy who she wasn't really supposed to marry because he wasn't the eldest son her father wanted her to marry a wealthy person um but they were in love and they sort of twisted his arm and convinced him to sort of give his permission for them to get married. And uh, yeah, later in life, her husband came to unexpectedly inherit his father's estate when his father and then his older brother both died uh, shortly after one another. And that made her a countess and she became very wealthy. Uh, But she had also, before that point, had a conversion experience that was really completely life-changing for her. And so she didn't, you know, even though she was running this, this sort of wealthy household. She did have, uh, you know, fancy stuff all around her all the time. At the same time, she ended up giving almost a third of her income away to charity. She supported schools and students, uh, suffering pastors because there, as you know, there was religious persecution at the time, as well as, you know, Providing uh, physical needs like food and medicine to the poor, um, and so yeah, her her life was really amazing. And she also wrote what is the only what was the only published book of meditations uh, by a woman in the 17th century.
0: And when you say meditations, what 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 are those?
1: Yeah, so um, I I guess that is maybe a tricky word today. Uh, people can think of all sorts of different things when they think about meditation. Honestly, I, I find people always asking me, oh, but it's not like new age meditation or whatever. And I say, yes, yes, but honestly, they do have some similar things. So probably whatever you're thinking meditation is is similar. Uh, The Puritans actually uh, cut it into two different categories, occasional meditations and deliberate meditations, because they loved making categories, (laughs) being influenced by uh, Aristotle there. But um, so yes, occasional meditations were uh, sort of going into nature, looking at things in the regular world, and finding a spiritual meaning or a spiritual reminder in them. Deliberate meditations were sitting down with the Bible, finding some passage or verse or word in the Bible or something like that, and trying to get squeeze everything you could out of it. And, uh, you know, really, it was a time of focusing your mind Taking you away from sort of other distractions of life and just having this really deliberate time where you're thinking about God, thinking about the Bible, thinking about your life and sort of resolving to, to use all of life as a means of devoting yourself to God.
0: Well, the next one was only two more, and I think we're going to yeah. be able to squeeze them in. My um, guest, <laughs> Dr. Jenny Lynn DeClerc. She is an editor and author at Crossway, and we're talking about her new book, Five Puritan Women Portraits of Faith and Love. Really fascinating uh, lives that these women lived, uh, Jenny. And Anne Bradstreet, perhaps uh, maybe the best known name. In yeah, this group. I would
1: say definitely the best known. Yeah, so people probably know she immigrated to New England as a newlywed with her husband and parents. She set up a house there and started a family in this difficult place, and she became the first person, male or female, to publish a book of poetry in America.
0: Mm. How did her faith sustain her? I mean, she was, uh, unfortunately, a number of people close to her died. Mm-hmm. She had a large family. Her house burned down. I mean, there were some tragic circumstances around her, and yet her trust in God uh, shone f- through all of that.
1: Yeah, I think her story is a really good example of this sort of Puritan emphasis on having a deep, genuine, honest relationship with God. I think what got her through all these things was that she she knew God, she knew that God knew her, and she loved God, and she knew that he loved her. And so um, that, I think, just grounded her through all of these trials and, you know, allowed her to to properly process all of the natural emotions that arise when you go through some traumatic event. I think sometimes today, um, you know, Christians can accidentally get in the rut of thinking, oh, I can't express like my anger to God or my fear, or if I'm having doubts, maybe I'm having doubts about God's existence, or is God good? How could he be good if he let my house burn down and my grandchildren die and all these sorts of other things? And uh, Bradstreet is not afraid to express those things to God and then uh, remind herself that God has an answer for all of those things that she is going through. Um, and so I think that that honest, genuine relationship with him is, is what got her through.
0: And her poetry, she even in, her, in, in one poem or two, she described, uh, she, I, I, it sounds like, as the house was burning down.
1: She, she wrote the, the her house burning poem. She wrote it after sort of some of the chaos had happened. Obviously, you're like running out of the house trying not to die. Uh, but uh, yeah, it seemed like it was maybe written on a scrap of paper shortly after that all happened. So yeah, these were, again, um, a lot of these documents in this book uh, are giving us super raw, unfiltered records of how did these women who were really close with God, who really valued their faith, react in the moment, and then like, they're kind of immediately writing it down, sometimes with some reflection in the past, but other times, like, more happening right after or right as things are going on.
0: Well, the final lady, I thank you for giving us a, a quick snapshot, really, of each of these, uh, Jenny, and that is Lady yeah. Brilliana Harley. And yeah. she, uh, well, you, you give them each different descriptions, and you particularly say she became known for spiritual conversations.
1: Yes. Uh so the Puritans called that conferencing, but I didn't introduce it till later in the chapter. Thankfully my editor helped me help me catch that realizing that people really don't know what that means. It really just means having a conversation with someone else about spiritual things mm-hmm. in sort of this intentional way, coming together and talking about where are you at with your relationship with God? Do you feel close to God lately? What questions do you have about the Bible? All those sorts of things. And she kind of uh, exhibited that in the many letters that she exchanged with her eldest son, Edward, after he left the house, started going to college. Um, and yeah, she basically wrote these letters that contain all sorts of life advice about religion and health and community. Um, and they give us a really sort of, they give us a peek into this really private, intimate mother-son relationship, which is really cool.
0: And these, are these letters still available today?
1: Yeah, you can. uh, They were all preserved, which is another sort of amazing, cool fact, because it tells us that her son kept all of them. (laughs) Otherwise, they wouldn't have made it all the way to us. Uh, And yeah, if you want to read them, actually, most of the primary sources um, in my book can be found in sort of like old versions online that are out of copyright. So some of them are also available in Critical uh, Editions today that you might be able to find at a library. uh, And you can also order online. Um, And my book was sort of trying to give you the fun, easier version if you're not up to the task of uh, reading 400 letters from the 17th century that sort of, you know, sometimes they talk about faith, other times they're talking about like bread or something, <laughs> so, or some political issue that you might not know anything about. So, but yes, they you can Google them and uh, find a version of those. And hopefully we don't have a critical version of them yet, but hopefully uh, one day, some scholar out there, maybe Johanna Harris, who I love and respect, will will do that for us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you for boiling it all down for us. And, yeah. and certainly, uh, Lady Brilliana Harley wrote to her son, Ned, and you, you write that she died suddenly, yet you can kind of, you, since he, of course, he's, he's lived and died centuries ago, they mm-hmm. can you can see the effect on him, and he basically, it sounds like, lived a, a solid Christian life throughout
1: absolutely yeah it's really amazing he writes sort of this little reflection or thanksgiving on his 50th birthday and one of the notes he puts in there is this this thanks to god for his mom and dad who uh influenced him in a positive way and in some ways he actually diverged from his parents in his political views but he kept their faith which i think is a even a more poignant lesson for us today. You know, our kids can make all sorts of life choices that maybe we don't agree with, but the really important thing is that they know God and love Him. So,
0: Well, it's all true. And it's interesting you point out at some point in your book that every one of these women applied their theological knowledge, whatever it was, their relationship with God to, I think the phrase you use is family ministry.
1: I kind of coined that term, (laughs) or made it up, uh, because as I was compiling all this information for the book, I realized that I needed to have some sort of like common threads that would bring everything together because there's so many specific details in each of their stories. And like I mentioned earlier, they're so unique. And I wanted to make sure that this book felt sort of like a literary unit, like it wasn't just a bunch of things jumbled together for Mm. no reason. Mm. And one of the things that came through really clearly when I was trying to jot down some of the similarities, some of the common themes, was that they were all doing theology and spirituality in the context of their home, and that looked a little bit different for all of them. For example, um, Agnes Beaumont doesn't seem to have en- had any children, and she was uh, single for most of her life, but it does seem like they um, they were really intentional about uh, passing on the faith to those closest to them, uh, whether it was a biological family member or even just those they were really close to in their church, their spiritual family.
0: Well, as we come to the conclusion here, uh, Jenny, what would you want the uh, the listener to this conversation, the reader to your book to take away the summary of the remarkable lives of these women? Kind of a two-part question, and then what has been their influence on on you?
1: Oh, man, maybe maybe I'll start with the first part. Um, I was really surprised. I mean, when I came, to first reading these women, I already knew a lot about the Puritans. So a lot of stuff didn't surprise me (laughs) because I had been reading John Owen for years and I sort of knew what their vibe was and Mm -hmm. what they were all on about. But something that did surprise me was um, just how sort of confident and strong and not uh, sort of passive or overly like they just weren't doormats. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I have my whole life struggled with confidence Um, that partly just being like a personality thing. I'm just a quiet person. Mm-hmm. But I think also in in my life, I always had Christian leaders who sort of emphasized, you know, being quiet and submissive and all those sorts of things. And not that there's anything wrong with that. We have all course all christians want to be humble and that's definitely a virtue but i was surprised and really encouraged and inspired by these women to sort of see like yes we should be humble and we should also be confident in other ways um and strong in other ways and those are you know not just virtues that are sort of just relegated to men women get them too and so that was uh really influential for me on a personal level um and i think for For all other readers, I mean, I hope the general thing, even though it's super vague, I hope that people maybe just see their own stories or find a friend in these women, I have been constantly surprised by different things that people relate to it's always something that i think no one can relate to like someone's house burning down and then that's the thing that that connects with someone because they had their house burned down. <laughs> all, all sorts of stuff um so that's a sort of general thing but i mean there are all sorts of little things we can learn from them uh subcategories of that one of them all i already mentioned um Just learning, seeing examples of of what it means to be someone who's really good at applying all of the Bible to all of your life. It touches every aspect of your life. There's nothing that it can't relate to that it can't help you with. And the Puritans in general are amazing at that. And these Puritan women give us some super specific examples of that worked out in, you know, really complicated, messy, sometimes horrible situations.
0: You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Jenny Lynn Clerk. She's a books editor and author with Crossway Books, and she's written Five Puritan Women, Portraits of Faith and Love. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Jordan Pratt on some major court battles he's involved with over religious liberty issues. Um, you know, all of these cases are cases in which, you know, religion was being treated less favorably than other, you know, secular activity. I don't think that that speaks well of our current uh, current climate uh, in terms of uh, its protection for religious liberty. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.